I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Good evening, uh, good night, good morning or good afternoon. All those options, of course, are available because we are going global with this extraordinary event, Scottish Spirits. Much more on that in a minute. My name is Gareth Evans. I'm delighted to welcome our giant trinity of talents, Robin Robertson, Jen Hadfield and Alistair Roberts. Please, wherever you are, welcome them now. Welcome to you all. Great to have you with us for this uh, wonderful event for which we have to thank the perfectly monitored, monikered rather, and hopefully not too monitored, Emma Bravo. Her name suggests the kind of response we need to give her. She's the communications director at Picador. Let's say bravo to Emma Bravo for making this event possible. Many thanks indeed, Emma, for bringing this extraordinary trinity of talents, as I've mentioned, together for an evening invoking Scottish spirits and celebrating the publication of Robert Robinson's wonderful collection of new dark tales for a very dark time, Grimoire. Now more on that also in a minute. Before I get to that, I'd like to thank several other agencies and organizations, Picador, of course, who have published this wonderful collection of Robins, and also the London Review Bookshop and the London Review of Books, where many of these poems, in fact, if not all of them, were first uh, page tested by Robin uh, to the wider world. Many thanks to everyone at the LRB uh, for making this event possible and particularly tonight Anthony, our technical director behind the scenes, making uh, everything run as smoothly as it does uh, to bring these uh, talents to your attention. And Sam, who is with you in the audience space, sharing uh, insights from the LRB archive, bringing uh, information to you and of course navigating your comments, responses, thoughts and questions to me later in the evening, which I will put to our wonderful lineup of talents. Now, Robin, it's a real pleasure to be uh, hosting the launch of your book alongside the wonderful Alistair and Jen. And I'd like if we could just to start uh, with this extraordinary title Grimoire, which of course is is actually a word that exists uh, in, in the culture, but one certainly that was entirely new to me when I uh, received uh, the wonderful copy of your book uh, that I'm now holding up here. Here is Grimoire, which, of course, you can buy alongside all of Robin's other books and Jen's wonderful Picador titles um, through the LRB bookshop, lrb.me slash spirits for tonight. Uh, and we are drawing attention, of course, to the LRB as a main uh, purveyor of books. But, of course, you must support wherever you are. Also, local bookshops and now the newly uh, launched bookshop.org, which is a crucial uh, uh, tool in the struggle 
to sell books uh, as widely as possible through independent channels. So Robin Grimoire, incredible title, suggests all sorts of things, but it is something that uh, exists in the world that you have now given a contemporary twist to. Could you set the scene for us as to how Grimoire, your version of it, came about? Well, a Grimoire is a, a manual for invoking demon, um, but don't let that put you off. Um, it is, it's a collection of Scottish folk narratives. Uh, <coughs> I used to call them um, reworkings, retellings, reimaginings of, of some of the tropes of Scottish mythology. Um, and um, I've been writing them for a long time uh, in a sort of a casual and arbitrary way. Um, but I began to think um, about three or four years ago that they might possibly be joined up and made into a a single volume um, with um, a, a binding of, of imagery um, from the drawings of my brother um, and a, a narrative uh, thread where there is one uh, one demon, one shape changer who speaks through all the poems. So that's the idea. Now, it opens and closes with with spells of protection, which I, I feel perhaps, you know, are necessary given the times we live in. Um, what it does um, is, is give a twist on the idea that, that thinking out loud, uh, sharing together the idea of a kind of darkness uh, kind of keeps it in a way at, at a safe distance. But you bring that darkness right into the heart of the work. And I wonder if you could uh, give us an example of, of, of one of the poems now. Yeah, sure. Um... So this is one of the one of the early ones that I wrote. Um, and thank you to the LRB for hosting this um, and for publishing so many of the poems. Um, this is one that's actually dedicated to uh, the LRB's editor at large and editor on the mend, um, Andrew O'Hagan. It's called Under Ben Ruhan. Three moons in the sky, the night they found him drowned in Salton's bog, just his cap sitting there and his wee fat hands poking out. It was no loss to the village, I told them next morning, and the villagers agreed. Horn daft he was, havering and glycot and scaring the children. I mind that time he picked up a mouse and ate it quick in two mouthfuls, set the tail aside on the ground like a cocktail stick. I used her well to that, his Jenny, still in her widow's weeds, jilping into her whenever I could, in the barn or the boathouse or off in the fields. She slipped two or three out at least, and sank each one in a lobster creel. Her head was away by the end, as mad as her man and no good to me. She sleeps now under Ben Ruhan, her face covered in ivy, gab and sticky willow. Then the dreams came. Last night, the burning loch, so full of bairns, they bobbed to the surface with their hair on fire. Black snow, rain like razor blades, 
the fusty-faced man there at every corner, hands furred with grey mould, and her, as always, star-naked, hatching in the herring nets. The last I remember was my body being driven with sticks through the town to Sawton's Bray and hanged. I broke from sleep and sat up in the dark. I groped around for the matches, and the matches were put in my hand. Thank you so much uh, for that, setting the scene very much for us. We'll come back, of course, to Grimoire and, and other poems very shortly. But we're delighted, of course, to be joined also by a fellow Picador poet, Jen Hatfield. Jen, many thanks again for being with us. Now, you grew up uh, in England, but you obviously saw the way things were going early on. And you went north, you crossed the border and you stayed wisely north of the border, of course. Um, it's embarrassing currently to be English, not least because our so-called prime minister, of course, um, is throwing out all sorts of insults to the other kingdoms in the union um, at the moment. And so I, I think the significance of your move north should not be understated. Now, you're deeply committed uh, to uh, the Scottish landscape, uh, language and culture. And I wonder if you could give us a sense of your own take on on the themes that Robin has laid out for us, the deep kind of well, the reservoir. Of, of, of Scottish folk, uh, song, tale and poem, of course, of a darkness, but also perhaps a, 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 dark, a light in that darkness. How, how have you seen um, that tradition and that inheritance as you've kind of joined it topographically over many years now? I think I've, I've always been a step behind, actually. I got very into Scottish folk song when I was living in Canada. Um, I moved to Shetland and got very into English folk song. Um, so I'm always a step behind wherever I am. but. Um, I, I do love that music tradition very deeply, and I'm still in Shetland now. And uh, until um, till COVID happened, we were probably the the richest place in the in the UK for for folk music. I would have said um, we have an amazing venue here, so it was it's back to back gigs really. Um, I think we're all missing live music very badly, so I'm feeling like we're lucky to be getting some tonight. Um, but as for the on you go. No, I couldn't agree more. Just to second that, they're fantastic that Alice is with us. So the um, the Shetland landscape is is really um, what's at the heart of my work now. Um, there's an awful lot of mythology here. Shetland is full of nugles and trows and uh, shaputi, another type of water ho water horse, and um, that mythology and that storiedness is very much in in the land around us. Um, I find myself speaking to things which are not human quite a lot here, um, not for want of human company, I have to say. It's a very busy place. Um, and we're actually allowed to go around and see each other for a cup of tea at the moment. Sorry to taunt you. So um, I <laughs> promise I've not started speaking to stones because there's no one else. But um, that's really what's informing my, my next book is um, wondering what stones would say to us if they could speak and if we'd be able to listen, really. Um, yeah. Well, that sounds tremendous. That's the collection of the Stone Age, which is out with Picador uh, next March. And I wonder if you could uh, share a poem uh, with us, perhaps from that, if, if we're particularly lucky, but um, something suited uh, to the evening that, that you've, uh, you have prepared. I really want to pick up on Robin's shadows, if that's all right. I was going to read this poem last, but I think I need to kick off with it, really. It is all about invoking demons and spirits, I suppose. So I've, I do have a poem that speaks directly to that. Um, 
locate it on my desktop. Here we go. So it's called Shadow. So this is where I left my shadow, italic, underweight, dashed like a toyshka in the corner of your kitchen. What in God's name have you been feeding it? Dark plates of hashed hellery like pie for birds. Long winter of the buried dark. I can't believe my delinquent shadow, fat and glossy, full as a tick. Muddy shadow running amok, shagging this bright rock, the hill, snaps mockingly to attention when I cry, heal! Welling bottomless at my foot, roosts in my clavicle, opens its throat. You press on, le you press on me the leash of my shadow. Say, open the granite wardrobe of your breast. Fold in your shadow like a warm winter coat. Thank you very much indeed. Again, the mood being uh, complicated and confirmed now at the same time. Thank you very much indeed, Jen. We'll come back to more poems from you shortly. But Alistair, we've all commented on what a delight it is that you can be with us this evening. You have access to a vast lock of songs, your own, and of course, the, the great tradition of uh, folk song uh, in Scotland and of course, from elsewhere as well. Uh, do you have a sense of this, of this kind of darkness that we've already identified running through uh, the poetry of, of Scotland and related regions. Do you find that darkness, of course, in, in folk song? But it takes a particularly uh, different quality, I guess, once it's sung. Uh, yeah, of course, there's, a, there's this definite strain of darkness in Scottish song, particularly the ballad tradition. You know, if you look in Francis James Child's collection, there's, there's so much death and violence and, and ugly stuff going on. And I think Possibly that's, that may be one of the things that, when I was a younger man, attracted me to, the, to that tradition in particular. But maybe I'm a bit less bloody-minded now. But I, I, so I feel like I've, you know, I've navigated that and explored that, and I still sing some of those dark ballads, and I will tonight. But there's lightness to it too, which you know, as I, as I age, maybe I'm more attracted to that, especially when times are bleak. I wonder if we could hear a song now, if you have one suited to the moment. Yeah, well, maybe I'll sing a very dark ballad. This is, I mean, this is a, a international song. It's, there are English versions, Scottish versions, less frequently Irish versions, and then obviously versions that went over to North America and other places. It's a ballad called The Cruel Mother, which I've sung for many years. And, um, uh, my version's kind of a composite. Uh, it's largely based on a Scottish version, but then I kind of uh, interpolated some verses from an English version. She leaned her back up against an oak. The sun shines down on Carlisle Wall. She's pushed and she's pushed till her back's near broke. And a lion shall be lord of all. She's leaned her back up against a thorn. The sun shines down on Carlisle Wall. 
and then she has a bonny baby born, and the lion shall be lord of all. She's taken out her weeping knife, the sun shines down on Carlisle wall, and then she's twined him of his life, and the lion shall be lord of all. She's laid him beneath some marble stone, the sun shines down on Carlisle wall, thinking to go a maiden home, and the lion shall be lord of all. As she was going to the church, the sun shines down on Carlisle wall. She saw that pretty babe in the porch, and the lion shall be lord of all. Oh, bonnie babe, if you were mine, the sun shines down on Carlisle wall. And dress you up in the silk so fine. And the lion shall be lord of all. Oh, mother mine, when I was mine. The sun shines down on Carlisle wall. I didn't see any of your silk so fine. And the lion shall be lord of all. Oh, bonnie babe, pray tell to me. The sun shines down on Carlisle wall. The sort of death I shall have to die. And the lion shall be lord of all. Seven years of fish, a fish in the flood. The sun shines down on Carlisle wall, and seven years abide in the wood, and the lion shall be lord of all. Seven years are tongue to the warning bell, the sun shines down on Carlisle wall. And seven years in the flames of hell, and the lion shall be lord of all. Welcome, welcome, fresh in the flood, the sun shines down on Carlisle wall. And welcome, welcome, bird in the wood. And the lion 
shall be heard of and welcome tongue to the warning bell the sun shines down on Carlisle wall but God keep me from the flames of hell and the lion shall be Lord of all. Thank you so much, Alistair, and I hope uh, our audience, wherever they are, are cheering, whooping, standing, and uh, wishing they could dive into the, the folk song Mosh Pit in front of you and uh, celebrate the wonderful singing there. Thank you so much. Now, Robin, you have um, obviously worked with Alistair. You've recorded an album of songs together, Hirta Songs. Hirta Songs. I'm, uh, I'm already uh, embarrassed enough to be English. I won't uh, try and pronounce uh, any more Gaelic uh, during the course of the evening. But that album, uh, which is, of course, available, H-I-R-T-A Songs. Now, when you uh, wrote those uh, lyrics, Robin, did you find a very different kind of um, engine underway, if you like, uh, as compared to how you write poetry? Was there a, a different kind of machinery at work? Well, I suppose there was. Uh, th that um, that project was triggered by a trip uh, my partner and I took uh, to uh, St Kilda in, I think, 2009. And it is such an extraordinary place, so hard to get to. And, and then when you do get to it, it's like Scotland on steroids. It's this volcanic uh, thing that comes out of the sea like Mordor. And um, I just had to write about it. Um, uh, but I didn't think my own poems would really sit well with this. And so I asked Ali if he would be interested in collaborating. Uh, we'd done one thing before. And I, I admire his work very much. And so we did a lot of um, toing and froing. I would send um, drafts of, of lyrics and uh, he'd make them a lot better than they were. Uh, and the centerpiece is a long, uh, a long litany, really, of place names of all the incredible Scots and Gaelic and Norse place names of this tiny little archipelago. Uh, and I suppose the litany is really where it started. My father was a Church of Scotland minister, and I remember sitting watching him um, preach and uh, not being particularly interested in in the message, but but in the uh, in in the wonderful plangent music of of his delivery. So um, I suppose that's where it all started on that project. Tremendous. Thank you. Well, you also have a, a remarkable delivery, and I wonder if we could hear. Um, perhaps one of the longer poems uh, from you now. Yes. Um, so uh, this is called um, Beyond the Dupladach, um, which is uh, another complicated Gaelic word. Uh, the Dupladach is um, is uh, Gaelic for the Black Shore, which is the stretch of beach between the sea and the high water mark, which was regarded as a refuge um, from all supernatural threat. Um, it's a poem about changelings um, and the fairies, um, the Shechen, uh, who supposedly stole human babies and 
replace them with their own. Um, there are lists here just to explain the uh, a list of cha of seining charms which protect infants from the threat of the fairies. Um, so the things like um, iron or uh, round twigs or the trailing pearl wart, which in Gaelic is pronounced moan, and less attractively, um, old urine known as stale or meister. So um, <clears throat> this is dedicated to my friend, the writer Duncan MacLean. Beyond the Duclarach. Seven years we'd waited. Three bairns lost inside and two born dead. Rab blamed himself, then me, then the crone on the next island, then the wee folk, the shechen, the fair folk, the peery folk. So when I started to show for certain, he went to work, pulled a handful of nails from the ruined jetty, gathered pieces of oak and elder and the sacred rowan, began filling a bucket with stale, laid out the reaping hook, the Bible, his silver sixpence, the gold ring, and with his joiner's tools made us a cradle of the holy wood and nailed it round with iron. As my time grew close, he drew water from the well, collected mussel shells to hang from the beams with bindweed, so they'd clack above the crib, mistletoe and the sixpence for the bed, and leaves of the moan to spread out under me as I came to fruit. There was no minister on these rocks, and no saning for me here, so Rab had a wreath of rowan over the bed, the Bible held open by the rusted shears that made the shape of the cross, the bucket of Meister there against the grey folk, the noiseless one, and a cup of well water with the gold ring in it for the three mouthfuls that would save me. And saved we were. He was beautiful, our son, blue-eyed, fair, fresh as melt water. I took him out one morning to the macher, laying him down on a cushion of clover at the madam's edge, where he tilted his head to hear like a bird, watched as I picked spring flowers, marsh marigolds, vetch, cowslips, primroses and pansies, dog violets and thrift. It was a false spring, though, that year. The cold held on, deep-rooted in the ground. We walked a lit candle three times round the crib, washed him three times in salt water, passed him three times over the fire, but saw he was wrong. Always feeding, always famished, ravenous, thirsty. He took more than both of us never grew. When I, when I so much as touched him, he cried out, gurning and yowling all day and night like a snared rabbit. Rab wouldn't look at him, wouldn't use his name, called him misgrown, a mimicking, worst of all, belled. We must cast the fairy out, he said, rising to his feet. Inside their hollow hills, I've heard men tell 
The floors are paved with the teeth of bairns. He put him in a foxglove bath, brought in a shovel heavy with salt, a cross drawn through it, laid it on the fire to burn. He would have burnt the child if I'd let him. Our boy's been changed, taken away, this creature left behind to eat us empty. It's either trial by fire or water. You decide. I carried him down to the beach that evening, the tide coming in and my heart in flitters. As I laid him down at the sea's lip, there was a rustling sound like wind in the tree, or a hawk stooping to the kill, and I looked over the water to the far skerries to see a grey-haired man levering himself up onto a rock. Is the way he came the way he's now gone back? Mother always said that we wear our dream, all living things. The goshawk shows on his breast a flock of geese. The mountain hare becomes snow in winter. The mackerel carries the streamery of the north dancers on its back, the silver-green and barred black that ebbs to grey when it's taken from the sea. Though our son had eyes the blue of the far places, and he wore his skin like water. For some it's not long, the waiting, for that decay of light when all is flown, all faded, washed away. When I reached the cottage, the crib was still empty. The crib lies empty still. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Thank you very much indeed, Robin, for that. Thinking now about language with you, Jen, uh, Robin's extraordinarily visceral use of language, of course, also brings in a lot of Gallic words. There's a, an extensive glossary at the back of Grimoire, bringing many, many words to my attention, I'm sure, to many other readers as well. How do you navigate that relationship with Gallic in your own work? Do you, do you draw on that as a kind of, again, as a kind of reservoir of possibility and feel that dynamic in, in your own writing? Um, I'll need to translate your question to, to be asking about Shetland dialect. We've got no Gaelic in Shetland. Um, Absolutely. This is the ignorance um, of the English again, of course, I, why it's time to move further away from the old country. 
<laughs> I don't say that to pull you up at all. Um, no, no, I need just, to be pulled up. I need to be more than pulled up, in fact. It's just that this is the most delicious language. Um, and like Gaelic, it's it's a language in danger. So I, I feel very passionately about it. Um, but I'm also aware that I'm an English person and I can't speak Shetland. I can hear it. I can mostly understand it. I'm desperately hungry to learn words all the time. Um, almost as quickly as words are lost, actually, uh, from the Shetland language. So Shetland dialect is, um, it's a really heady mixture of, of um, Scots and a little bit of Dutch and a huge whack of Old Norn. Um, so very strong Scandinavian influences here. Um, you can listen to Scandinavian crime dramas and pick up words that you hear in Shetland sometimes. And people often say that Shetlanders often say they can go to Norway and sometimes make themselves understood with folk that are speaking Norwegian. So it's it's very exciting. Um, a beautifully rich language um, full of really specific and onomatopoeic and, and really um, words with a great sense of humour as well. Um, a wonderfully metaphorical language. As for my relationship with it, um, I tread as lightly as I can really. Um, I love to learn words from folk. Um, I have a rule now in my own work that I will only use a Shetland word if I use it without noticing it sort of thing. I feel like that's a sign for me that I've assimilated it into my own language. Um, and of course, words come and go from everyone's spoken language. So that's that's the way I use it. And um, apart from that, I spend all of my teaching time urging other writers to at least experiment with writing as they speak. Um, and I do that as much as possible in Shetland. So I feel like that's that's where I'm allowed to engage with it creatively. Um, but I but I love it passionately. <laughs> um, and for me, it's a really strong sense of a really strong part of my sense of being here. Um, I feel like I will never know, I'll never experience Shetland like a Shetlander does because I don't have that life. Um, but that's that's a, a real privilege and a joy as well. So Shetland's changing my perception every, every day, every hour. Um, and when Robin speaks and, and writes about shapeshifters and Alice's things about them, I, I think that's the the kind of shape-shifting that's available to all of us, really, um, when we let place and, and other creatures change our perception. Happens all the time, does not it? <laughs> that's tremendous. Well, thank you so much for that praise song to Shetland and to its language. I wonder if we could hear another poem from you now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll do you a shape-shifting one. Um, there's a lot of them. Um, there's a kind of a, a fierce modern one and, and something a little bit more out of time. I think I'll, I'll go for the... Go for the more natural one, I think. Um, so I don't know if um, any of you good folk in the audience that I can't see have heard of a nudibranch before. Um, I guess some of you will have done. A nudibranch is a sea slug. It's um, a marine animal that is a gastropod related to snails, but they're absolutely spectacular. Um, they can appear in all kinds of beautiful colours. Um, and just occasionally we see one near the shore here. So this is a shape-shifting poem that is also a bit of a pun. It's called Nudibranch, and it's about skinny dipping. I ease my naked body down into the rock pool's closet, clinging to the vertical rocks with my soles, 
hanging a moment before I let myself fall. Slowly as a dim slip that shrugs off its hanger in a deep green changing room, air shouting silently from my struck lungs, I would try on the old clothes to see if they still fit. Dropping to the velveted floor, the seizing onesie of brillo hair, the sweat sheath that horripilates with archinous buttons, each breaking wave dowsing me of costume, comfortably divested of my name. Perhaps still some permeable notion of self. Arabesques of albumen, prongs subliming the tender flame, condensing down to antlers, and weed, and warm, and warm, and weed. Thank you very much indeed. And again, apologies for my absolutely appalling ignorance uh, about uh, the languages of the North, which of course, Alistair, you are absolutely at ease with and you sting across language. And I wonder when you're finding a traditional song that you want to take on and, and uh, claim your own stake in, what, what is it about a song? Is there a pattern now to how you find your way into a song and, and find the voice of it in your own terms? Oh, well, um, to go back, going back to what you said about, you know, singing across language, you know, I, I, wish, I, I wish I could speak Gaelic. You know, I, I'm, I'm half German, and when I was in school, my mother, well, she rarely insisted on, uh, insisted that her children should do anything, but she insisted that we should study German in school, so I wasn't, although there was a Gaelic class, I didn't study it at school, uh, but I'm fascinated by by the Gaelic culture, and, and it, and that, that kind of world influences my work in a way. But yeah, I suppose Scots and English are my languages, really. But um, I can't remember the rest of your question there. It's about, about finding traditional songs. Well, how you, how you, yeah, how, when you take on a traditional song, how you, how you find your way into it? Is there a pattern to how you kind of claim it and make it your own? Um, uh, well, it can be different every time. I mean, I suppose there's some similarities with each with each song, you, you, you know, you you would only sing a song that you you have a kind of visceral and emotional uh, attraction to in the first place, you know. But then it, it's then moving beyond that to actually yeah, inha inhabiting it, which can be a lengthy process. But it can also change over over years, you know. I sense that, like, mm -hmm. you know, I sang the, the Cruel Mother ballad, and and the way I sang that when I was twenty compared to now when I'm in my early 40s will be different when I, it'll be different again when I'm 60 or 70 or 80 you know so I like the fact that those songs can keep developing with with a singer is there a song in, in that vein with perhaps that sense of journey that you'd like to share with us now well maybe uh, talking about songs I sang when I was 20 I'll sing one of the the, the very first kind of tr traditional Scott songs that I picked up and I learned it from my late father, Alan Roberts, who was a singer and uh, guitarist, banjo player, tour manager, various other things, importer of German beer. But, um, <laughs> but one day when I was, I suppose I must have been in my late teens, he said, oh, maybe, maybe you'll like this song, you'll find it interesting. It's got some, it's got some interesting lines in it and it's a, 
It's a song called The False Braid. This is from the singer of Alan Roberts. <laughs> indeed Alistair it was wonderful Robin you've collaborated as, as, as we've spoken about with Alistair but in this book you bring on a new collaborative force in your brother Tim Robertson and I'm delighted he's with us this evening uh, hello and many thanks indeed Tim for your wonderful contribution how did that come about and what was the nature of the of the kind of the dialogue or the kind of prompt the ask if you like for for Tim's uh, uh, imagistic encounter <laughs> But I, I, I felt that it, I would, I would 
the, the poems would benefit from um, images that showed the sort of vulnerability and at the same time um, the power of shape shifting and the shape shifters. Um, I'm very interested in this idea of, of um, kind of drama and mutability of the flesh and this is really is what, what these poems are about and I knew that um, my brother would would find that essence and render it um, visually and and indeed he did brilliantly so I'm very happy with the outcome. Absolutely and the images run all the way through and I do urge obviously uh, all the prospective readers of Grimoire which of course I, I'm directing now uh, entirely at the audience here expecting that you have already bought of course the book as part of the event ticket or are going to do very shortly to uh, really enjoy those images as well. Now, Robin, you talked about uh, the dedication earlier to Andrew O'Hagan and in fact all but one of the poems uh, outside of the, uh, the the protection spells are dedicated uh, to a writer or to somebody you know and I just wonder how that particular aspect of the of the collection came about because they are striking in the fact of, of having a, a name dedication attached in a way that of course many of your, your poems and many poets uh, don't do with, with, with each work. So was that a conscious part of the overall project? I suppose I wanted to share the blame a little <laughs> and implicate them in, in this unpleasantness. Um, no, I, I wanted to, to thank um, Scottish friends uh, who've helped me uh, through the years. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's an easy way of of doing it and I'm, I'm glad to involve them in, in the project um, so tremendous no I mean it's 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 great that they are there because of course many uh, wonderful names to, to to be inside the covers in, now Jen in terms of thinking about uh, how you uh, kind of conceive and, and generate work uh, we talked about of course this great linguistic uh, richness of Shetland of course and, and you've committed uh, your life now to uh, the islands but thinking also about the weather, because of course you are also uh, at the front often of, of many different weather systems. Now you're experiencing strong winds and heavy snow. It sounds like it's going to get worse at the weekend. And weather and the meteorological, the, the sense of, of the kind of the forces at work uh, um, over and across the islands is, is, is a really key element. Um, do you think of that as a kind of collaborative partner, if you like? And, and the sense of place, of course, is, is absolutely crucial to how you uh, how you how you work and how you write. I suppose in that um, I don't write when I'm bored. <laughs> I'm rarely bored because as I as I say when I said Shetland was changing my perception all the time. Um, a good part of that is weather. I suppose part of it is folk, part of it is land, part of it is the steam, part of it is weather. Um, I was chatting with I went beach combing with a friend yesterday and we were chatting about um, how dissatisfied we were with with the with the still day, um, this time of year, it should be wild and woolly, you know. Um, and I've had a, I used to be a little bit afraid of storms here. And I had a group of friends who were afraid of storms as well. So we would all kind of egg each other on to be a bit anxious, rushing around, tying things down and, and things like that. I'm just hungry for it now. And I don't know whether it's um, having had this, um, I suppose, enforced luxury of staying home for, a good long spell now um but the weather brings change to us it it literally it, it mm -hmm. deposits things to look at on the beach and it 
changes the light and it changes our wildlife constantly. It brings migrant birds from North America and Scandinavia. So um, I have that, that kind of constant addictive stimulus. A friend mm -hmm. here said that they had a, um, a, friend from, a friend from Greece who said, you Shetlanders are addicted to festivals. Um, and I think we are addicted to festivals and novelty and, and change probably because we're at the crux of it all the time. Yeah. Tremendous. Well, we have time for uh, one more uh, poem or song from each of you. So I wonder if you could share a, another poem with us now. Okay. Um, so I'll, um, I think I'll, I'll go the music way. And this is also dedicated, actually, this is a dedicated to the, to the band Vasen, Vasen. I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing that right, a Swedish folk group. Um, and I wrote this when they came and played a gig in, in Mariel a, a couple of years ago. Um, it was their instruments that really got to me as well as their sound. It was the um, the Hardanger fiddle and, and the nickel harfa. And the way those instruments looked so strange to me, but also their otherworldly kind of sound. So that ties in with the landscape in this poem. Hardanger fiddle and nickel harfa. So help me, I would rather write a song, a wordless song for the strings of the north. Hardanger fiddle and nickel harpa, like jewels hewn in flaxen wood, keys a delicate overbite. Elfish devices and mother of pearl like nights the sea calms paler than the sky, short bow light enough to touch the nerves of the north, fretful in a shiver of sympathetic strings, feeling in their flat chest how close the night moored to silence. Bored wind gowling in the bars of the gate, purr of surge when the night is down. So help me, write a song of unsettling grace, perhaps an old folk dance in a weird time signature, a gawky waltz a lonely mark, gone off at a tangent, popped back to say it was just a random thought, an interrupted cadence, a whistle under the breath. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Alistair, you are also uh, a, a great collaborator uh, with other musicians, of course, in various configurations, as well as your own remarkable uh, solo work. When you're bringing uh, other people together and you're gathering songs and, and you've, you're trying to find that kind of uh, that sort of shared space of the song, if you like, um, is there again a, a kind of uh, a way that has begun to work? Can you identify forms within that because you had sometimes working with two, three, four other musicians at collaborative pieces on a larger scale. How, how does the kind of song find its identity uh, beyond your, your, your role as, a, as a, a solo artist? Well, I kind of feel in, in sort of group projects I'm involved in, particularly the ones where, that I've kind of initiated and that I'm ostensibly driving, it, uh, it's nevertheless better to be kind of Kind of hands off, you know. Like I, I tend to like, you know, if I'm if I've written a bunch of songs and I'm working with a group of musicians, I tend to just pick musicians, work with musicians who I who I love and trust, 
and know that they'll come up with something good if I just say to them, right, this, this is the song, these are the chords, this is how it goes, this is how it feels, do what you want with it. And I, I know that I, it'll come out right because I trust the people. And I also know that it'll be more surprising because I, I'm not totally in control of it. So it's, it's, it just makes it all more exciting. Is there another song you could share with us as we move towards, sadly, towards our close? Yeah, I'll, I'll sing. Uh, I kind of dis discussed with Robin what I should sing. Uh, um, I sent him a kind of long list and then he rejected most of it. <laughs> I think this is one that made his long list. It's quite an old song of mine. Um, first, I want to apologise to Jen and to everyone else in Shetland for this map behind me, which shows Scotland, but it doesn't feature Shetland. But that's because it's not actually a map of Scotland. It's actually a map of uh, whiskey distilleries worldwide. So, anyway, this song is called I Fell in Love. And it kind of draws in, in, in terms of the way it relates to Scottish tradition, it kind of draws on this, the, the kind of international folk song, folktale motif of the singing bone. And then there's also some influence from some, some, uh, from some uh, Romano British curse tablets which were found in the waters of Aquae Sulis. Up when my words. 
words were all told, and this she did say unto me. I'll visit the same upon the thousand fold, I will visit the same upon thee. And may you become one with the water so done, flow away, flow away, flow away. Flow away, flow away, flow away, flow away, flow away, flow away, flow away. indeed Alistair and uh, significant I think that you did uh, draw attention to the map behind you of course the map of whiskey distilleries uh, the audience uh, might have uh, noticed that both Robin and Alistair are enjoying very particularly distinctive single malts this evening of course whereas Jen and myself being of uh, other origin don't feel we have the legitimacy really to imbibe whiskey in a public space uh, like the internet so where whatever you are drinking wherever you're drinking I do hope you're raising a glass repeatedly for the extraordinary trinity of talents you're currently experiencing. And again, many thanks uh, for being with us wherever you are. We sadly are, as I said, moving to a close now. We will hear more poem from Robin before we do so, but delighted that two questions have come through um, from your good selves, uh, far more articulate than any I've managed to uh, muster up so far. First question, I think, um, staying with Alistair now from Paul. Many thanks, Paul. And you're, you're asking Alistair to uh, offer a comment, if he has any, on the role of the traveller community as the carriers of folk song and the folklore contained within them. Do you draw on that traveller tradition yourself, Alistair? Do you find inspiration uh, from those sources? Uh, well, yeah, certainly in Scotland, you know, the, the, the traveller community has been really uh, instrumental in preserving traditions, but it's kind of a touchy subject because yeah, I'm fascinated by, by that tradition. And, you know, my, my family lives in Perthshire, so I feel Kind of some connection to the, the you know the Perthshire traveller tradition, although I'm not a traveller. So, although I'm, I'm interested in it, and I do sing some songs from those sources. Great singers like Sheila Stewart and Belle Stewart, and further north Lucy Stewart and distant uh, well, related, and um, obviously Jeannie Robertson, Lizzie Higgins, and people like that. I, it's not my culture. You know, it's, it's important to to acknowledge that and to realise that you 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 know you're you're borrow, borrowing it, it's not yours, but um, yeah, but it's a very important uh, aspect of S Scottish culture, I think, the, tra the traveller traditions. Thank you very much. Yeah, and absolutely very important to be sensitive to the origins and the and the, uh, the caretakers, the holders of those of those songs. Thank you very much. And now a question from Charlotte for both Robin and Jen. Perhaps, Jen, if we could start with you and then hear from you, Robin, that would be great. Uh, Charlotte's thinking about uh, the folkloric tradition, of course, and these these tales of shapeshifters, the kind of stories that we've, we've been uh, hearing and about and thinking about tonight and, and wondering whether 
when you hear those those stories, are you reading about them, hearing them in songs like Alistair's and others, or hearing them directly from people? Do you draw inspiration from across those three locations, should we say, Joan? I think um, when I've encountered those stories, it's, it's largely been um, from, from storytellers, um, either mm. professional or otherwise. And I seem to know quite a lot of people who are very good at telling stories up here. Um, and I think my the times when it's most exciting is um, when you're chatting to someone about something completely different and, and that conversation breaks into a story about a water horse or, or a trow that lives in mm. Smeke Valley in Fula. Um, I was in Fula, the island of Fula, in September for the first time. I've been staring at it for weeks and years and months, um, longing to get there. And I was on the boat leaving um, when a guy who stays there and was also on the boat uh, asked where I'd been. And I said, oh, I've been around the back of the aisle and I'd had seen the snake of the smiley. And he said, well, you know, of course, there's a, there's a trow that stays there and he has a sidekick who's called Oily Muggy. Um, and they wait in the snake of the smiley, which is a kind of a chasm in the cliff. Um, and they wait for children to fall in and then they steal them. Um, they caged them up to collect their tears. And it was it just flowed from the rest of our, our conversation. So I think it's probably true, right? Absolutely. Mm. Careful of that, of that chasm. Robin, is that your experience of a, a kind of storytelling encounter? Well, um, Joseph Campbell said that uh, myths are, are public dreams and dreams are private myths. And I subscribe to that and also to the, the whole principle of of uh, keeping oneself's, oneself open to the borrowing of, of other traditions. I mean, none of us have Gaelic, um, uh, but I've, I've shoehorned Gaelic into this book. Um, I just want to keep within earshot of, of the Scottish tradition, which I was taken away from when I moved down to, to London. And that's probably the reason I, I wrote these poems in the first place. You're homesick. I am homesick, yes. Always homesick. Always sad and sorry. <laughs> uh, thank you very much indeed, Robin. Now, before we hear uh, the final poem from you this evening, I just want to draw our audience's attention, of course, to the wonderful work available, uh, the, uh, all the publications by Jen and Robin available through the LRB uh, bookshop online, lrb.me slash spirits. Uh, Jen's new collection, The Stone Age, uh, is out in March from Picador, of course. Grimoire is published by Picador uh, and uh, widely available, uh, as is uh, all the books that we talked about, as are all the books we talked about. Alistair's new album, uh, next album, is out in July. Many, many albums, of course, you can find in the meantime, but the new album is out in July uh, 2021 called The Old Fable River. So please do track that down alongside all these other wonderful recordings. Uh, it's dark in London where I'm... Uh, Broadcasting from uh, a kind of Conradian moral squalor, of course, a very different darkness, uh, a much shallower uh, and less appealing darkness than the uh, the darkness we've been exploring this evening uh, in this night of Scottish spirits, a, a more textured darkness and one uh, that uh, brings, I think, reward with it, uh, unlike the appalling news stories that we uh, hear from the capital down here. It's been a rigorous, exhilarating and necessary evening. I do hope wherever you are listening and watching it from, you've uh, enjoyed it also. Please do find all those books and recordings, as I said. Many thanks indeed uh, to the LRB Bookshop, to the London Review of Books, to Sam, Anthony and to Emma and everyone at Picador for making this event possible. And now we are going to close uh, with the final poem uh, from Robin Robertson from Grimoire. Many thanks indeed to Robin, 
to Alistair and to Jen for giving us such wonderful work this evening. Thank you all very much indeed for coming. And we will now close with Robin Robertson. Thank you, Robin. Well, thank you and Slanjava. This is um, this is a poem for John Burnside. It's called it Roan Head. You'd know her house by the drawn blinds, by the cormorants pitched on the boundary wall, the black crosses of their wings hung out to dry. You'd tell it by the quicken and the pine that hid it from the sea and from the brief light of the sun, and by Angus the collie lying at the door where he died, a rack of bones like a sprung trap. A fork of barnacle geese came over with that slow squeak of rusty saws, the bitter seas complaining pool and roll, a whicker of pigeons lifting in the wood. It had four sons, I knew that well enough, and each one wrong, all born blind, they say, slack-jawed and simple, web-footed, rickety as sticks. Beautiful faces, I'm told, though blank as air. Someone saw them once, hurpling down to the shore, chittering like rats, and said they were fine swimmers. But I would have guessed at that. Her husband left her, said they couldn't be his, they were more fish than human, said they were beglamoured, and searched their skin for the showing mark. For years she tended each difficult flame, their tight, flickering bodies. Each night she closed the scales of their eyes to smoor the fire. Until he came again. That last time, thick with drink, saying he'd had enough of this, all this witchery, and made them stand in a row by their beds, twitching. Their hands flapped, herring eyes rolled in their heads. He went along the line, relaxing them, one after another, with a small knife. It said she goes out every night to lay blankets on the graves to keep them warm. It would put the heart across you, all that grief. There was an otter worrying in the leaves, a heron loping slow over the water when I came at scrake of day back to her door. She'd hung four stones in a necklace, wore four rings on the hand that led me past the room with four small candles burning, which she called the Room of Rain. Milky smoke poured up from the grate like a waterfall in reverse, and she said my name, and it was the only thing and the last thing that she said. She gave me a skylark's egg in a bed of frost, gave me twists of my four sons' hair, gave me her husband's head in a wooden box. Then she gave me the sealskin.
and I put it on. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.